morning, everybody. If you've got your scripture journal or you can grab the Bible that's in the row or if you brought your Bible with you, anything that's got the book of Genesis in it will do just fine. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis 49 this morning. So if you want to go ahead and flip to that, we're, we're almost to the end. I think uh, Tyler told us, how, how long have we been in Genesis now? Two years? Two years. Pretty crazy. So uh, Renee's going to come and read this. Um, so Renee, if you, where's Renee? There's Renee. Uh, you want to come up here. So just real quick, a couple of things. Um, it's been, uh, wasn't exactly our plan, but it's been three weeks since we were in Uh, Genesis uh, 48, and that can make this seem like a whole uh, different part of Scripture. But really, uh, if you look at that first word in chapter 49, is then. And so this happens immediately after what we talked about three weeks ago. So you've got to kind of remember what happened uh, three weeks ago, and then we're just pivoting very quickly uh, right after that. So if you recall... Uh, Tyler taught, uh, taught us about blessing, and uh, specifically it was the blessing uh, by Jacob of Joseph and his two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so in, in chapter 49 now, we pick right up, right after that, and uh, Jacob calls together all of his sons uh, to then pronounce a blessing upon them. Uh, Right before he dies, by the end of this chapter, which we're not going to get all the way to the end of this chapter today, but by the end of this chapter, Jacob will have died. So this chapter is poetry. It's blessing. There's a lot of things going on in here. I I will say I've been studying this for two weeks. It is a uh, somewhat confusing passage. Um, My ESV study Bible noted that the pronouncements are presented using poet, poetic imagery and language, sometimes with wordplay, which occasionally make them difficult to interpret precisely. That was not a uh, reassuring uh, thing to read as I started studying this. As, as Renee reads, just a couple of things. Don't get tripped up by all of these comparisons to animals and serpents and things throughout the chapter. It seems that all of these animals, whether it's Lions, donkeys, serpents, does, wolves, they're meant to be a positive thing. But we don't want to read too far into them and try and draw a bunch of conclusions based on these animals. There's a lot of cultural things that I'm not sure, I'm sure that I don't fully understand. And I bet that uh, you all are probably in the same boat in a lot of ways. So with that, I'll let Renee come and read. She's going to start in verse 1 and read to verse 28. Okay, Uh, Genesis 49, 1 to 28. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. 
Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his brother shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulders to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring, His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, Blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Pray with me real quick. Dear Lord, you tell us that Every word of Scripture is profitable, Lord. And so, Lord, we come to you with this passage and ask that you would make it profitable, Lord. Uh, There's nothing that I bring that will make it profitable, Lord. So I ask that you would descend here in this room right now, prepare our hearts and our ears and our minds to be open to hear what it is that you want to say. And Lord, I ask for your blessing 
that I might be able to communicate something of the majestic word of God to these people that are listening. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think there are two key verses to understanding what what we just read. And the first is verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. The days to come. The latter days. So this is, this is prophecy. This is a blessing, but it is also prophecy. Jacob is going to tell his sons what is going to happen to them. And not just to them, but to their offspring, to the generations yet to come. The other verse is verse 28, the very end. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. A blessing suitable. Not a general blessing, not generic, but specific to each one of his sons. That animal that he picks out for many of them, that's specific. That means something very specific to each of them. Based, the, the blessing, the prophecy, it's based in who they are, what they've done, and more importantly, what God has planned for them, how God plans to use them. The other thing I think is in these two verses that's really important is this is a transition. At the beginning in that first verse, Jacob called his sons, and in the last verse, All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. There's a transition here from sons of Jacob to tribes of Israel. From sons to tribes. From a family to a nation. This is the progression of God's plan. This is fulfillment of his promises to Abraham and to Isaac and now to Jacob. So those things are going on in the background here. Just, just kind of be aware of those as we, as we walk through this. I was thinking this morning, of trying to think of an illustration. You know, we always like to start a sermon with an illustration. Get you hooked, right? And I was struggling with the illustration because I don't have a lot of experience where my father got up and prophesied about things that were to come. But as I was uh, kind of going over this this morning... I thought back, it was about three years, three years ago that we were trying to figure out where are we going to meet? What, what are we going to do? Because we're in COVID, we can't be in the building, we've got to figure out we're going to go outside, we've got sound and bathrooms and all kinds of logistics we've got to figure out. How much would it have strengthened our faith if God had descended down through somebody in our congregation and provided prophecy that don't worry, in three years, you're going to own a building. COVID will have, I, I will say, more or less passed. You will be secure with a place to meet every Sunday morning. Don't worry, I've got you. I kind of think that's what's going on here. 
Jacob has been the patriarch of this family. He's been leading the family for, I think he's like 130 or 40 or something at this point. If I'm his sons, his sons who, you know, we've met most of them in different ways, they've got some problems. They, they've uh, made some bad choices, made some mistakes. I would be terrified looking at my father who has communed with God in ways that I have not and knowing that he is coming to the end of his life. What is going to happen? What is going to happen to these promises that have been made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Where are we going to go? And I think God comes down through Jacob here and provides prophecy, provides a blessing upon these 12 sons about what is going to happen. Where is his plan going next? What part are each of these sons going to play? So I really think this is the kindness of God. And as we read this, Sometimes it doesn't seem like the kindness of God as you read through some of these, particularly the first couple of sons, which we'll get to in a second. But the, the important thing to see here is that none of these sons are left out. Every single one is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they play a very important part in the next step, and as we'll see, in eternity in God's plan. So, as I studied, there's three major things that I want to highlight as we walk through these blessings, this prophecy. So, let's, let's get started here. So, Jacob starts as you would kind of expect. He goes to the oldest son, Reuben. But it really doesn't go very well. As I said, I, I wouldn't have taken this much as a blessing. He starts by reiterating... Reuben's presumed position. He's the firstborn. He should occupy the first fruits, preeminence. That's the birthright, is the firstborn. But then he turns very quickly and calls him unstable as water. What I read, this, this, we should think of this as fickle. And then he recounts Reuben's greatest failing, where he defiled and betrayed Jacob by sleeping with his concubine. And as a result of that, Jacob quickly moves on and says, that birthright, what you expected, what is expected in our culture, that as the firstborn you would receive the birthright and the, and the, the major blessing, you've lost that. You're passed over. I'm moving on. And he moves on to his second and thirdborn, Simeon and Levi. And really he wastes Absolutely no time here. And uh, just move straight to the fact that they are weapons of violence. And recounts how they uh, destroyed the men of Shechem in a cruel, cruel way. Full of wrath and anger and retaliation for what was done to their sister Dinah. And again, in verse 6 here. Jacob makes it clear that the birthright does not pass from Reuben and land on either Simeon or Levi. He says, let my soul not come into their counsel. So, we're a quarter of the way through the 12 sons. Not a great start. I think of blessings as a joyous occasion. And this is not what we're seeing here. So what, what do we learn from these first three so my first, first observation, first point out of this, sin has consequences. 
These three are passed over for the birthright, for their inheritance, because of their sin. Because of what Reuben did. Because of Simeon and Levi's anger and cruelty. They are passed over. But more than that, not just the birthright, their sin has consequences for their generations yet to come. Simeon and Levi, it's specifically called out, will be scattered and divided in Israel. You may recall, I don't even remember how many years ago now, when we did the book of Joshua, we talked very much at the beginning about how all of the land got divided between the tribes. The tribe of Simeon was given a portion of land within the tribe of Judah. So they're kind of hemmed in. They're, they're stuck inside of Judah. They have no room to grow. If they want to travel outside of their own land, if they want to engage in commerce, they've got to go through Judah. So they're stuck. They're, they're hemmed in by Judah. And the tribe of Levi, they're, they're not really given any land at all. Instead, they are literally scattered and positioned in the cities of refuge. Remember that? The cities of refuge around Israel. So that, the tribe of Levi, they are divided up and scattered all around the land of Israel. So the sins of their fathers, what they did, has impact well beyond themselves, has impact into their tribes generations and generations later. So what are we supposed to learn from this? Sin is very, very serious. And we should see it as serious. It causes eternal separation, eternal harm, separation from God, which we talk about often. But here, it's really talking about the practical effects of sin. The effect that it has not only on individuals, but on everyone around them. On their families, on their friends. Sin is destructive and degrading. It causes hurt and damage. We should be grieved by sin. And we shouldn't be surprised when we see sin and then we see destruction and damage left in its wake. That is what sin causes. And I think often we can quickly go to the sinner's need for Jesus, for justification, for sanctification, and we should. But we should also help deal with those practical effects of sin. We should have compassion and help those that are hurting because we too know the hurt. No one here is unfamiliar with the pain and the damage that's caused by sin. We've all felt it. So when we see others that are being hurt, that are being damaged by sin, find ways to practically help them. Thankfully, we don't stay there. We don't have to stay in the consequences of sin because we do have the power of God that has conquered sin. 
Sin has consequences, but God is not restricted by those consequences. God's power is not somehow restrained by the consequences of sin. So that's my second point. God's grace is greater than sin. Tyler talked about this when he preached. He talked about God's blessing transcends our understanding. It's not contained or constrained by our minds or by our culture or by how we think sin should work or what we think the effects should be. God works amazingly through our sin, somehow, in ways we don't fully understand. And I think that's really what we see here. This family, as we talked about already, is full of sinners. We've studied for the last 37 chapters now, and a lot of it has been about their failings and their missteps, murder, betrayal, sexual misdeeds, almost every kind of sin that you can think of. And yet, this is the family that God has chosen through which he's going to save the world. He's not surprised that these are sinners. He's not surprised by any of the things that they do. And he is setting up here in this chapter the next phase of his plan and how he's going to work through these sinners and all of the effects of their sin. So I just want to take a quick flyover on some of the different ways that these different tribes are used as we move forward. So, real quick, probably don't even want to try and write these down. Uh, Zebulon. Out of the tribe of Zebulon, we get uh, Judge Elon. Out of Issachar, Judge Tola. Out of Dan, Judge Samson. You remember Samson? Ruled for 20 years. God blesses the tribe of Gad with the best area in the promised land. The tribe of Gasher, or I'm sorry, Asher, uh, <laughs> they're, they're richly blessed. And there's a, there's a, a little place in uh, Luke chapter 2 where uh, a prophetess, Anna, identifies Jesus as the Redeemer when he's bought, brought to Jerusalem for circumcision. Naphtali, remember we ch- uh, studied in Judges, uh, Barak and Deborah? Barak was from the family, or from the tribe of Naphtali. He and Deborah wrote the song of Deborah. They were conquering, uh, conquering heroes. And the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest of all of the tribes, and yet, out of the smallest comes some of the most significant men and women in redemptive history. Ehud, King Saul, Jonathan, Abner, Mordecai, Queen Esther, and the Apostle Paul all out of the tribe of Benjamin. Even Reuben, Simeon, and Levi are not left out. They all play prominent parts. Levi, we talked about them being scattered. Levi become the Levites. They become the priestly tribe. They're scattered to be priests throughout the entirety of Israel. And out of the tribe of Levi, we get Moses, Aaron, Ezra, and John the Baptist. God's grace is bigger than their sin. He works through the consequences of their sin and uses these tribes, these sinners, these family of messed up people for his plan in the next phase 
of what he's doing with Israel. Each son gets to play a part. And if you hadn't already seen it, in the move from family to tribe, to a tribe of na- uh, nation of tribes, God is fulfilling part of his promise to make their numbers as many as the stars and the sand. Beyond just a family, now we have tribes, and they were going, they're going to continue to expand. And throughout all of this, God also promised the land, right? And we see in these prophecy that different parts of the land are being given to different tribes. So God is fulfilling his promises in all of this. I think it can be easy for us to hear the 12 tribes of Israel and go, oh yeah, I know what that is. That's, you know, they're, they're the special people of God. And not recognize that the 12 tribes of Israel are a work of God's grace. This isn't how God had to work. I think if we had been there, it wouldn't have been the way any of us would have suggested that he does work. And yet this is a work of God's grace. This is how he chooses to work. He works through sinners. This family is not special in any way other than God chose them and blessed them. And church, this is the same today. It's the same God. He uses messed up sinners that bring nothing to the table other than all the places that we've messed up and failed, disobeyed, and sinned. He chose us, he blesses us, and he uses us for his purpose. And really, I think one of the kind of most amazing things here is unlike the fathers affecting their generations to come with the negatives, we get Jesus who adopts us and we get all of the positives from him. We don't get the negatives. We don't get the effects of sin. We receive righteousness. And the effects of righteousness that we would be reunified with the Father, that we would be able to have relationship with the Father. That is what passes on from Jesus to us rather than the effects of sin. We get the effects of righteousness. God flips this whole model on its head when Jesus comes. So, two more sons that I haven't mentioned yet, and they take up about 50% of the ink here, Joseph and Judah. And their blessings really rise to the top. This is where we get at least what I think of as blessing. And I think God is showing us in them that he's not done working through this family. He wants to be real clear about where he's going. That through this family, the work that he began in Abraham, continued in Isaac and Jacob, is now going to continue in these 12 tribes. The blessing on Joseph in particular is where Jacob just overflows. He brings, uh, so I'm sorry, my third point here, uh, the, the re- God's redemptive plan continues. Uh, he overflows Joseph with blessing. Blessing from the deep, blessing from below, blessing from above. Prophesizing fruitfulness, Bounties, strength, military success. It's going all out. 
with Joseph. I think the thing that's most interesting in Joseph's blessing are these names of God that get pulled out. So I, I saw five. There might be more. But in particular, I saw the mighty one, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the God of your father who will help you, and the almighty who will bless you. These names reveal, as Tyler preached, that the true blessing is not stuff. It's not the military success or the bounties or the fruitfulness, but that it is God himself to be with him, to be near and known by God. These names reveal who God is and who you get to have a relationship with when you know God. He's the mighty one. He is singular. There's only one who is mighty. He's the stone of Israel, unchanging, unaffected by the world, a strong anchor that you can count on. He's the God of your father who will help you. All those things that you've heard about God and Abraham, about God and Isaac, about God and Jacob, that's the God I'm talking about. And that's a God that when you call upon him in times of need, he will bring you help. The Almighty who will bless you. Powerful, capable, willing, and desirous of blessing his people. This is the God that is blessing Joseph. And if the blessing of Joseph tells us who God is, then the blessing of Judah tells us how God is going to continue. How is God going to fulfill all the parts of his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? There's one part that we haven't talked about. Remember, it's in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was part of the promise that God makes to Abraham back in chapter 12. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The blessing to Judah makes it clear that the tribe of Judah will be the lead tribe among the twelve. It says, your brothers shall praise you. Your father's sons will bow down before you. Judah is to be feared by his enemies. None would dare rouse him. And of course, we get the description of the Lion of Judah. This is used throughout Scripture, and this is where it starts. Compared to all the other animals, we got oxen, we got serpent, lion here. Lion, the foremost animal. It's a pronouncement of royal status. And that royal status is made clear in the next verse, in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So what are we talking about here? A forever ruler, a forever king, whose tribute is not treasure, it's not jewels or gold or animals, it's the obedience of all people. So how are the families of all the earth to be blessed? Was it by Joseph coming to Egypt to save all from famine? Yeah, 
that was a start. But here's where the tribes of Israel are going to take us. This is prophesizing Jesus coming through the tribe of Judah to establish a forever kingdom. To bring tribute to him means obedience. And all will be obedient. This blessing shows us what is coming and what will be completed all the way in Revelations. So, I decided this is a complicated passage. Let's go to Revelations. That'll be clearer. (laughs) So, Isaac's going to project this. I'm going to read Revelations chapter 5, starting in verse 4. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, that is prophesied by Jacob all the way back in Genesis, is here. The Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb that was slain, is the only one under heaven or on earth that could open the scroll. Only Jesus. Jumping a little bit ahead into Revelation 7. Starting in verse 4. Bear with me, this is a little bit long. And I heard the number of the seal, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the son of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In heaven, on that day, not only... 
are the 12 tribes there, but a great multitude from every nation, all tribes, all peoples. Does this sound familiar? A great multitude that can't be counted like the stars in the sky or the sand on the beach. This is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham. Made in eternity, fulfilled in eternity, that all peoples are there that have been saved. And we are shouting with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. So you may not have realized it, and I really don't think Jacob realized it. But Jacob was not only prophesying about his sons and what was going to happen in the latter days for them, but he was prophesying about what was going to happen in the latter days for us, too. Because we're there. We're there before the throne of God with the 12 tribes of Israel, shouting, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And how are we there? We're there because we were washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Because of the Lion of Judah, we will be in eternity with the 12 tribes. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and his family that they would be a blessing to all of the earth. And we are the recipients of that blessing. Jacob is prophesizing about a day that I just can't believe he could possibly understand as we only kind of understand it. A day when the descendants from the tribe of Judah will stand side by side with those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. This is God's unstoppable plan for redemption. Despite our sin, despite the sin of the sons of Jacob, he works in amazing, amazing ways that we can't understand. There are real and tragic consequences of sin, and we should never doubt that. But we should also never doubt that God continues to work through us and through those consequences to establish Jesus and his forever kingdom. So that on that day, when the Lion of Judah breaks the seal, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And we will be there alongside them. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would, when we need your help, Lord, when we have trouble, when we see the consequences of sin, that you would give us a complete and total confidence that you are working, that you are not restrained, that you are not hemmed in, that you are not, a, un, that you are not able to do what you need to do. We know that you are powerful, Lord, but we are weak. And your grace transcends our understanding. Lord, help us to look forward to that day when we will stand before your throne. 
and with the multitude that is unnumbered, declare you as Lord. And Lord, give us confidence, give us faith today to play the part that you have for us, despite that we are sinners, despite that we are weak, that you can work through us so that others will be there beside us. Lord, help us to know when to speak, where to speak, how to speak, the truth of who you are and what you've done so that others will be there with us on that day, declaring you as Lord. pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you.